Hi everyone, I'm Ashley McManus, Senior Director of Global Marketing at SmartEye. Welcome to the Human-Centric AI Podcast, where each episode we feature thought leaders doing cutting-edge work in the AI space. A little bit about us, SmartEye was founded over 20 years ago, and we have been known for developing some of the world's most sophisticated eye-tracking systems. In recent years, we have expanded our technology and are now known as the global leader in human insight AI, tech that understands, supports, and predicts human behavior in complex environments. We are bridging the gap between humans and machines for a safe and sustainable future. Our multimodal software and hardware solutions provide unprecedented human insight in automotive and behavioral research, supported also by Affectiva and iMotions, companies we acquired in 2021. So today's episode features Kevin Manny, partner at Category Design Advisors, a journalist who has been covering tech and society for 30 years, and author of Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. Kevin and his team guide leadership teams to help them define, develop, and ultimately dominate a new category of business. It was a great opportunity to speak with someone who has covered tech and AI as a journalist for so long. Kevin and I talked about his background, including how he stumbled into the tech beat, wrote the de facto history of IBM, and how companies can approach the idea of category creation. Let's listen in to learn more. Okay. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. With me, I am Kevin Manny. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with me. Yeah, Ashley, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So to start, you know, tell us briefly about your background. How has your career path taken you to where you are today? Uh, well, um, you know, it all started with journalism. I, I worked um, at, you know, USA Today for a very long time in its heyday. And uh, and then written for a whole bunch of different magazines, Fortune, Newsweek, um, Wired, you know, uh, all, a lot of the ones. And it's all, all of it has been about... Um, the technology industry generally, big ideas out of technology or um, where things are going and what the industries, you know, big players in the industry are doing. And um, that also led to books. I started writing books. And mm-hmm. um, and then uh, the book Play Bigger that I wrote that came out in 2016 changed my life uh, because that, that book proposed this, uh, this concept. I wrote it with three other guys, Silicon Valley veterans and Oh, the book proposed this concept of category design uh, and, and a methodology behind it. And this this book is like done better than, you know around the world than any book I've ever written. And not only that, but then it generated uh, a lot of phone calls from CEOs all over the world saying, "You got come, please come help us do what you wrote about in the book." So now it's turned into a full blown uh, you know strategic advisory practice. So I still write books. Um, just starting another one right now. Uh, which would be like number ten, I think. Wow. And um, uh, but uh, but I but a lot, my 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 world is split between writing books and um, and doing this uh, consulting advisory work. Okay, very cool. And I did I see that you're also a musician and play in a band. I see a lot of musical things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. What instrument. Tell me more. Um, uh, I am the uh, lead singer and rhythm guitarist in a band called Total Blam Blam, awesome. based here, based here <laughs> in New York. Uh, we've been together, I don't know, seven, eight years or something like that. Um, I've been in bands for you know a long time, and um, I like to write music, and we write, write most of our own stuff, perform it. It's very much you know sort of rock, seventies, eighties sounding kind of stuff, and it's uh, yeah, it's been it's my uh, my hobby and passion. 
Okay, awesome. I'm sensing a creative thread here. So right. <laughs> definitely. Awesome. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about, um, I think you, you hinted to it around your company, Category, Category Design Advisors, so CDA. Yeah, yeah, CDA, Category Design Advisors. Yep, so Kim, what does this company do? What kind of organizations are you looking to work with? Sure, well, um, we we help companies do what we wrote about in the book, Play Bigger, so I'll explain <laughs> more about that. Um, uh, so I wrote the book with um, three guys that a couple of them are kind of Silicon Valley legends, Chris Lockhead, uh, Al Ramadan, and Dave Peterson. And um, they actually already had a, a, a they were, the three of them were advising startup companies um, already under the name Play Bigger. Okay. And um, and their main thing, the kind of core thing that they were, they were, they went in with was um, that in, in most markets today, especially digital markets are pretty much winner take all. You know, you think about, any big, you know, uh, ride sharing, you know, you got Uber, you've got, you know, uh, social networks, you've got Facebook, whatever, you know, think of a lot of categories of business and there's usually almost always one giant and maybe a second place uh, kind of runner up and then a bunch of tiny little followers. So they kind of were going in with the, with, with, to start off with the idea that, well, look, if you're going to start a company, you really want to be successful. Um, then if that's true, that, it's a, these are winner-take-all markets, then why would you enter somebody else's market? Why would you go into some, a market that's already established and say, well, you know, we've got our product has, you know, four more dials on it and goes, you know, one and a half times faster. The better argument is one you have to constantly make and win. Mm-hmm. And and because some other competitor is going to come up and say, our dial goes to, you know, five and we have, you know, two times faster. And it's, a, it's an arms race. Mm-hmm. Instead, if you're going to start a company in this day and age, the better option is to actually try to create a whole new category and put yourself at the top of it uh-huh. and, and be different from everybody else, not, not be a, a better argument, but a different argument. Uh-huh. And, uh, but they, so they started with that and didn't, didn't really, like they had little pieces, but they didn't have sort of like a whole like methodology put together. And the process of writing the book, working all that through, uh, it, it all started to, the, all these pieces started to come together of like how you would do it, how you would take a company through this exercise to get to that point where they understood what new category opportunity was out there that they were uniquely you know, positioned to take advantage. Um, and, uh, and, and so the book came out, um, they still had their firm, but there was more, the, the book generated more demand that, that they could do. Mm-hmm. So um, I, as the fourth author, started a second firm called CDA, Category Design Advisors, with uh, with a guy named Mike Danfos, who was part of their world for the last 20, 30 years, too, and knew all those guys. And um, the, the thing we decided to focus on, Mike and I, as Category Design Advisors, were um, uh, were young startups, some, somewhere usually between Series A and C, once in a while, like a pre-IPO company, a couple of times, early public company, but mostly in that early stage. And our thought about that was, these companies don't have time to mess around with this. They, they don't want a consulting gig that's gonna last six or nine months and you know, and, and generate all this paper or anything like that. They need, to, if they're gonna go through this process and get to the idea of, uh, of a category they can create, they need to do it fast. Mm-hmm. So we've created a process that takes maybe three weeks um, and with a core, the core piece being uh, one week of intense workshops and working with a company. And um, 
and and so we we try to go from zero to um, the point where a company has a, uh, a kind of a manifesto that 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 describes the pro the problem that uh, exists in the world that they're going to solve and describes how they're going to solve it and why they are the one company to be able to do that and that manifesto kind of becomes a north star flag on the hill this is what we're doing you know it influences everything that happens in the company the, what the product is going to be like what the marketing campaigns uh, kind of people you hire and off they you know they go so um that's been quite effective we worked with i don't know 40 probably companies at this point maybe more and um and and that's that's kind of our i mean that's our that's our category of the world is this sort of you know, yes. fast category, you know, intense category design projects. And, and that's what we do. Awesome. Very cool. So I want to take you back a little bit. So I'd sure. love to discuss turning points in careers, right? So I, I've yeah. seen that you've contributed a lot to some amazing publications like Newsweek, Fortune. Um, I'm wondering what your favorite piece has been that you've worked on or and or can you share your story of how you came to focus your career on uncovering tech in society or do you have any other kind of personal stories that motivated you? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting question. So, <laughs> well, well, I, I, I ended up in technology entirely by accident. I, I grew up in a town called Binghamton, New York. Okay. And, and Binghamton is, uh, there's a cluster of little towns right there where, uh, which is really where IBM was born. Mm -hmm. And, and when I was growing up, especially had a huge presence there. Mm, okay. And, um, uh, and so I got out of college and I wanted to go into journalism and I got hired or I got an offer from the hometown newspaper. And the editor said, um, you can choose. I have two openings. You can choose which one you want. You, want. you can either be the night cops reporter um, and, or you can be a business reporter. And I thought about it for about two seconds and thought, <laughs> I don't really like the idea of chasing around after cops at 2 a.m. Yeah. Um, I'll be a business reporter. Cool. And if you're going to be a business reporter, you're going to cover IBM because that was the biggest thing in town. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this was 1983, probably I guess, and and it was so so fortuitous because that was the moment when the personal computer started to become a thing. Yeah. And uh, you know before that, most of the public didn't care about computers or technology. It was there were things that sat in the back office of some big corporation, yeah. but suddenly there were things people wanted to buy and were you know got very interested in. Of course. Ten years later, the whole internet comes along and then blows. But I, so I basically got on this train at exactly the right moment about writing about technology. And the the second big turning point um, was probably I'm thinking what year probably was around 1993, I think. And um, so by that point, I'd been right. I was with USA Today, and USA Today was becoming a rocket ship, and um, I had been writing about technology all this time, and. Um, and I and I started writing about you know these this new thing called the information superhighway or you know <laughs> or cable cable systems that we're going to have 500 channels these, these were all like new thoughts at the time mm -hmm. and then I read I read an interview with John Scully uh, who was at the time was CEO of Apple yeah and and he mentioned somewhere in the interview about how um, all media was going to become digital which was a radical new thought at the at the time. Mm -hmm. It just, from everything that I knew at that up to that point, it just, it just struck me. It just like went right through my brain and said, like, oh my God, the ramifications of this are unbelievably enormous. And um, so I, 
I decided to dive into like what that would mean and ended up doing, I don't know, three or four or five part series for USA Today um, that um, that we, we labeled Mega Media. Mm, OK, the birth of Mega Media. And it was all about all the, you know, the fact that there's digital ramifications of that, who might win, who might lose, you know, all this stuff. And um, uh, and I got a after the series ran at some point, I got a call from a book editor at uh, at uh, John Wiley, one of the big book publishers, who basically said, can we turn that into a book? Nice. Which became my first book, which came out, the book called called Mega Media Shakeout came out in 19, April 1995, right at the moment that um, that Netsca- Netscape was blowing up, was about to go public, and the internet was hitting everybody's you know radar screens. And it was literally the first book that was out that was about like the idea that media would go digital. So um, I suddenly found myself on speaker circuits and talking to boards of directors, and you know also, and that was basically the beginning of uh, of, a, of a book writing career that's taken me you know to all sorts of places I never never expected to be. Very cool. That's awesome. Um, and as you mentioned, you've met, you've authored quite a few books, 10, 10 total. Um, there were, there were a couple that caught my eye. I think there was recently intended consequences was one. And then yeah. there was Maverick and his machine, which I think is the de facto history of IBM is how I <laughs> saw that summarized. So now that I know that IBM came from your hometown, basically, that makes a lot of sense. So I mean, they they seem they seem like two very different books. So I was wondering if you could share more on maybe what each book was about, or you know how you arrived at the concept of writing them. Do you have a favorite book? Maybe it's not one of those two. <laughs> well, yeah, hugely different books. And and American and his machine is my favorite book, and probably my proudest oh. moment. Like my proudest moment as a writer. Um, so it's a biography of Tom Watson Sr., who's the guy who built IBM. And um, and it was it was a bunch of coincidences um, I uh, that led me to it. I I um, was uh, of course I grew up in that town and I knew some of the history. I knew that it had never really been written. Um, I had been covering IBM up to that point uh, and knew the company well. And um, uh, and it also turned out that my mom was worked for about twenty years as a personal assistant to this very wealthy guy in the Binghamton area, who it turns out his grandfather was uh one of the original board members of ibm oh my gosh. so That's- and he and he so um he, he had a bunch of memorabilia and things like but but the key was i went to ibm and I, I said i was interested in doing this this book and i wondered if there was like personal papers of watson's that might be accessible and it turned out that they had hundreds of boxes of his personal papers that nobody had ever looked at oh my god and i it gave me access and so i i had all of this amazing stuff for the first time to use to write a biography of this guy and it just it, wow. you know it, it it made it extremely deep and personal but uh the the attended consequences book uh later in like well right after play beer came out in 2016 right around the time it came out yeah i um i struck up a relationship well i already had a relationship with um but um with a guy with Haymont tunisia Haymont is the um the, the guy who runs General Catalyst, which now is one of the biggest and most successful VC firms in Silicon Valley or in the world. And um, we had begun talking several years before that about a concept of his that he called unscaling, 
and and it was um, this, you know, and I, and I love, I like, I love big sort of historical arcs of, you know, things about technology. And, and he's a very deep thinker. And he was and he had this whole concept of how um, in the uh, in the 20th century, the technologies that we built, like, you know, telephone systems and electricity and railroads and all this stuff, they were all pre- uh, they all allowed the, the scaling of companies, of huge corporations and the and the idea of mass production and mass media. Um, you know, all those, those, and, and those kinds of things were what made a business great. Like you, the yeah. more you could make of the same thing, um, the better your business was. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it almost created kind of a least common denominator, you know, sense of what industry was about in the, in the 20th century. And, and then to get, you know, you guys in AI. Uh, so we get to this modern era when AI comes around. Yeah. And one of the things about AI is it can, it can learn about, individuals at scale and uh, and you combine that with some other things that are emerging like say like 3d printing or um, and, and genomics and blockchain and you, you start to see that uh, that industry can, can increasingly uh, create products for a unit of one and and most of us would rather have a product that's made for us than a product that's made for everybody yeah so the idea was that that this this idea of mass personalization was going to overtake mass production, and yeah. and those were going to be the best businesses, and essentially unscaling what had scaled in the in the 20th century. So we ended up um, writing a book called Unscaled, um, that um, that then led to a long relationship with Haymont. Of we wrote Unscaled, um, and then we followed that up with a book called Unhealthcare. Okay. Which uh, which took the unscaled concept and and then uh, which which had a chapter about healthcare, but then actually focused on how does this impact the way the healthcare system is going to work. Um, and and then we wrote a third book called Intended Consequences. Mm. And Intended Consequences came out of um, the responsible innovation movement. You know, the idea that that, that you know, and especially in AI, right? That um, that's probably yeah. topic of conversation. How do you responsibly create AI? Mm-hmm. And and our observation was that um, everybody's talking about responsible innovation or saying that we we need to act that way, yeah. but nobody's written a playbook for company founders who say I want to build my company so that it is always going to act responsibly and is always going to create products that are responsible. So we set out to do that. The intended consequence is intended to be that is is a playbook for comp- for. Playbook for founders who want to create responsible innovation companies. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's yet another book I wanted to ask you about, which you might have answered the question already, but you also co-authored The Two-Second Advantage. So yes. how to succeed by anticipating the future just enough. And I know it was, you know, it was merging brain science and computer science. I think it was a 2011 New York Times bestseller. Right. And that book's description predicted much of the conversation that we're now having around artificial intelligence. So I was wondering if you could explain what you meant by that or in what way you predicted what we are experiencing today. Maybe you already answered the question, but I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to add to that. No, no. well, you know, I wish the book had come out five years later uh, (laughs) because in 2011, nobody was really really wanting to talk about AI. (laughs) Uh And, uh, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, um, uh, I co-wrote that with Vivek Renadive, who at the time was the CEO of Tipco Software, and um, we got talking about how um, uh, brain scientists were were increasingly 
learning from computer science, computer scientists about like using borrowing ideas about to try to create models of how the brain worked. And computer scientists were increasingly borrowing from brain scientists. So we wanted to look at the intersection of these things and and how do you make uh, how do you make machines? And, and we actually use this kind of how do you make machines that are talented? To mm. use that phrase, okay. um, that that are beyond um, beyond just uh, computers that can do what uh, what a program tells them to do, but actually have an ability to um, predict what's about to happen and and and, and do that thing. And if you think about um, what the brain scientists will tell you is that when talent, the, the most talented people in any particular field or sport or whatever are, are the people who can predict what's about to happen a little before everybody else. Yeah. yeah. That, that, is a, that is a thumbnail way to describe talent. So if you can create machines that can make predictions just a little bit ahead of everybody else, um, then you're, you're, you create an advantage, you create a, you know, a talent, an advantage that you have over, over others. So it was about how do you, you know, how does that work? How, how, what's the thing? Of course, it was early and it wasn't really being successful as, as in practice yet, but it was certainly the way that, um, that uh, the, you know, the world was moving. Mm-hmm. Okay. So also, you know, ba- based on your, your background and your expertise, uh, I'm wondering if you can touch on you know, what do you think tech companies need to do, or especially AI companies, or recommend that they focus on when it comes to telling their stories? Well, uh, I mean, this kind of goes back to the the category design ideas. And um, so what we start with is that, you know, if you ask, if you ask, if you ask most companies, tell me about your company, Uh they're going to just start by saying, well, we make this thing. Um, you know, or, or we make, uh, you know, we make factories more efficient by, with artificial intelligence, you know, whatever yeah. that kind of, that's what they're going to tell you. And, uh, and most of the time, unless, unless you specifically can connect it in your brain, like, why does this matter? You kind of like, most people just tune out. It's like, well, you know, okay, great. That's good for you. I, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and, and so our whole thing is you have to start with a problem you solve Yeah. and, and, um, and, and you have to be, you have to, I mean, a new category is essentially a new problem to solve. Something that you see that's not being solved in any particularly really good way, or that um, that it, sometimes it's a new problem that's been created by other technologies that get invented, perhaps. And, but the whole idea is to get to the core of what problem is not being solved in the world uh-huh. that needs to be solved. S- somebody needs to exist to solve this problem. And if you can explain first, what that problem is and why somebody needs to exist to solve it and, and what that solution might look like, then you can back into, and let me tell you why we're the ones that are doing it. And we're, we're uniquely qualified to do that. By that by that point in time, you've got me hooked, right? Because I, I, I understand what that problem, even if it's not related to me, at least I understand why it matters right. and why it matters that it gets solved. And now I'm interested in, okay, now tell me like, okay, well, how are you gonna solve that? That's interesting. Now, yeah. And that's the way that we shape those um, those manifestos. We call them POVs or point of views that are an out, output of category design. But we would tell that to any company that that to start with, you know, start with the problem. Mm-hmm. Don't start with like this gadget that you, you're telling people. And if and if and if what you are describing is um, 
the problem you are solving is is that you're saying um, we do something a little bit better than somebody else that does it already yeah. doing it, then then I guarantee you you're in somebody else's market space and you're going to have to constantly win a better argument. Yeah. Versus winning an argument that that makes people believe that you're you're you are the ones that are going to solve some important problem, and and that lasts that that effect lasts for a, a, a much longer time. You get embedded in people's brains as the ones that are going to are going to solve this problem, rather than you know tomorrow when the next company comes around and says I've got something that's just a little bit faster, I'm going to go with them. Great advice. I love it. Um, maybe this is your takeaway, but do you, if you had one takeaway for the for the audience listening today, what would you like to tell them? We covered a lot of ground, so I yeah, yeah. one thing you wanted to hone it on. I, yeah, I mean, I think that is the biggest takeaway is that yeah. that um, being being different matters, um, and solving a problem that either isn't being solved in any good way today, or um, sometimes it's even a problem that people don't even get recognized they have. But if you can explain it to them. Sometimes that you know that will, a light bulb will go off. Go like, oh my God, you're right. You know, so start start with the problem um, and work backwards to why you should exist and why and what the solution looks like. It's a much better way of thinking about your company and your strategy and your position in the world. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So for our listeners, can you let us know where they can go to learn more, or do you have any other call to actions? Uh, well, certainly, there's, we have uh, you know, our website is CategoryDesignAdvisors.com. It's a long one, but you know, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you can always go there for lots more information. Um, I have a website, personal website, KevinManey.com, if you're interested in seeing what other books or some of my music, all that kind of stuff is on there. Love uh, it. So between those things, you can get anything you want to know. Awesome. That's great. Well, that is all I have for you, Kevin. It has been a pleasure. And thank you so much once again for, for taking the time to have this fascinating conversation with me today. Thanks, Ashley. I appreciate it. As an avid reader, it was pretty exciting to speak with someone who has published 10 books. What I really took away from our conversation, aside from Kevin's rhythm guitar role in his band, was around his approach to category creation, especially because while at Affectiva, we created the category of Emotion AI. A new category means a new problem to solve, and that reframing is a wonderful way for businesses both in and out of the tech industry, critical to how they tell their story and explain why what they do matters. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the Human-Centric AI Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes. We're also on social media, so please reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to share any feedback you have on the show and weigh in on the discussion using hashtag humancentricaipodcast. Don't forget to rate us and comment with your feedback to help make the podcast more discoverable for others. Until next time, thanks for listening.